Welcome to another episode of the Gain Momentum podcast, focusing on timeless lessons from global industry leaders about how to grow and scale a business in hospitality, travel, food service, and technology. I'm Jason Manis here with my co-host, Adam Mogolanski. Adam, how are you? Doing fantastic. That's good. That's good. Our guest today is Luis Segreto, CEO of Data Travel, maker of the Happy Integration Platform. Hello, Luis. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Adam, take it away. Luis, when it comes to scaling a business, what is the single piece of advice you would give entrepreneurs from your perspective as a professional in hospitality technology? Well, if I could cheat on this one, I would give you an answer that's all-encompassing, uh, like establishing a, tr- a strategic plan yeah. uh, or do what we've done. We've, we've implemented uh, EOS, the Inter- uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System, which gives you kind of a guiding set of principles to run the business and drives you through a process. But if I had to pick one, and then we're talking about hospitality technology, what I'd say is that entrepreneurs need to know why people buy what they're selling. And they need to have a really before, and really we should probably start with the definition of scaling, but I just finished the thought there. If we're talking about scaling, you've got a product or service, you've started selling this, uh, and you want to just sell a lot more of it. I think the first understand the first thing to, to understand before you can scale it is really understand why people are buying it, um, which creates a, a need around or, or need to understand what the product itself is, the service is. And then with that, the value that goes with it, and then you can start to think about how you can make that repeatable. Uh, and you start to delve into you know the market sizes, et cetera, that you're addressing. But you need to start with that one bit. It, there's no point in having a chance, you know, raising, scaling. Think about scaling. Uh, what's the step to uh, bring in funding, bring a high, create a large sales team, create a large operations team? If you don't know what you're selling or you don't know what you're delivering, either one of those groups are, are destined to fail. Yeah. The uh, understanding why they buy. Like I, I find myself working with a lot of scale-ups companies that have been around a year or two, maybe, maybe they've got 25, 50 clients and they're ready to take that next jump. But everyone's talking a different language, using different words, different methods for marketing or selling or having conversations with potential customers. They may think they know, they probably know why their customers buy, but they don't talk to their customers enough. So it's the first thing I do is like, Go give me five to 12 customers and let me go talk with them because you start to see a trend because they'll start to say the same language. You know, eight of the 12 will have bought it for the same reason. And then you're like, aha, that's it. And interestingly, it may not be in perfect alignment with what the entrepreneur was originally intending to do. Uh, So, and that's, and hence, that's where the, where, where the issue comes along or part of the issue. Wondering if you could lens this through happy in terms of how you identified the need in hospitality technology to help integrate all these different systems that have emerged in what is seemingly an endless field of uh, vendors that are out there. It's something I still deal with, frankly. We do an awful lot, perhaps more than we should as an early stage company or an early company. It's been a bit of of, um, testing on our side of, hey, we'll engage these customers to, to solve this need for them. We'll see if it really sticks. We'll see if this is a pervasive need that we can scale up. And then we're, we're still going back. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a trial and error. Uh, and we found certain patterns. It's taken us some time to, to find certain patterns and really find, you know, when we started, as an example, we said, 
well, integration is a problem that uh, they're concerned with. But the reality is that there's products out there that have already created integration. So that's kind of solved already. Uh, we look to do it for as a marketplace where we're, we're the integration provider for other startups. They also lack customers. So it's not a really easy way to, it's a great way to, to, to grow a business with a network effect, but you need to have enough of them to, to make, make it sustaining. So what we kind of settled on is that we need to really create uh, the flows of data for the enterprises, hotel enterprises or hotel groups. And that's really where the pain is also felt, because the the, the pain as we, we come to, to see it is that the groups don't have good visibility into what's happening in, into, in, the, in their own properties in a real-time fashion. And that is really their differentiating point, because an OTA has lacks of visibility also, but this is the one spot that they can win. So this is where we've kind of honed in on, and we're, we're delivering a lot more functionality for, or, uh, or solving a little more pain for, for larger groups. And just for reference, how long... Do you think that took to really find that sweet spot? I, uh, I, you know, I, I call this out because it's something that, that we're, we're still challenged with. Honestly, like in the large enterprises, we've been able to, in, in the large major groups, we've been able to find where, where we're solving a pain. In the medium-sized groups, what we've done is we're still experimenting. Uh, we're, we see some wins. We're winning in CRM. We're winning in data consolidation. But we're yet to, to really hit on, on the last little bits of, hey, this is, everyone needs this. And this is, so we're still working on it. It's an, it's an evolving thing. It's a wide problem that we're solving. So um, the, the opportunities are great. And we're still experimenting. And thankfully, um, doing so as we scale, we're, we've been growing really well. But it's not something that we, we could say we play, play victory over. Wow. And I guess last follow-up for the first question. You talk about experimentation and the, being a part of the, I guess, the happy and uh, data travel culture. How do you, if you're always experimenting, how do you then transform into another type of culture, which is might involve a cultural change? There's different schools of thought on this one. Uh, you as an organization, if you want to, if you want to have continued growth, you always have to have experimentation going on, but they do call out. And I don't recall the, the, uh, there's a, there's a, um, theory on this. Uh, that you essentially break the business in two. And there's the four quadrants where, uh, to, to break it in four, it's really in two, where you, you have the, the side of the business that's all about perfecting the uh, this processes and the things that you know that you're selling today. And then you have the experimentation side that's doing R&D and then taking the market early to then hand off to the scaling side of the business. So you, you split the two and it's the whole notion of uh, disruptive innovation that you can't do it from within. So if you want to, if you want to have continued growth, you'd have to split the two organizations. As an early group, it's really hard to do. If you're a small group, it's very hard because you're still, you, you, it's hard to discern experimentation from, from production. But as you get to the scaling moment, that's when you really have to start splitting the two so that you have folks that are, that are skilled and focused on building repeatable process. You have folks that are, that are skilled and, and focused on uh, experimenting and finding that, that next great thing. Yeah, I forget the exact term for that fragmentation. I guess it's skunk works, I guess, but that's more of an old term. Louise, we're going to move on to the second question. What are some of the common pitfalls or failures you have witnessed that business owners should look to avoid when scaling their business? As you're growing, you're, the team is obviously growing. So you need to be able to communicate the, your why. And that, that notion of creating a vision that you can communicate to the team and really focus on uh, or, or enable them to understand why you exist 
gives them a kind of reason for being. And uh, that's something that if you don't have the teams as they grow, especially today where you have a lot of distributed teams, you, you lose the you, you lose that common drive. Uh, and so I think that's one of the pitfalls. Another one is an interesting one, kind of goes a bit to what you were saying before, trying to grow with the wrong people, trying to grow with the people that you have. You have people that, uh, that are well-suited to start an organization, to uh, uh, be masters of uh, jack-of-all-trades, do, do a lot. But when it comes to the moment to, to really step it up and, and excel in one area, specialization, they can't do it. So the notion of, of getting the right people into the right seats is something that uh, is really paramount and oftentimes people don't do. I've, I've experienced this in the past. Yeah, I've, I've grown a couple of companies at this point. As you're growing, you you have the the person that was a great friend and really staying by you as, as you're as you're growing a particular part of the business. But when it gets to to grow, they were handling a number of things for you. But when you need to settle in and do that one thing, you realize that they're great at doing what they do, but they're not great at being uh, filling that need in a large organization. Yeah, I've seen that too, multiple times. <laughs> There's another one, uh, which I think is this you see a lot of, especially on the scaling. And that is not understanding the addressable market uh, or the selling process. You see a lot of this, this, this kind of addressable market and, uh, and projections by spreadsheet. You know, there's the 60,000 hotels out there and I'm going to multiply that by how much I sell. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what I'm going to, this, this is my potential revenue. And it just doesn't work that way. You need to have an understanding of what your true addressable market is, uh, what the selling process is, what, what you could really penetrate, how you would penetrate, because you may not be able to sell into the major chains. You may not be able to sell into the independents. You know? So really understand that addressable market and then setting yourself up to scale to that. And that is something that I've seen more than once where, where it just it's failed, unfortunately. And then on the, on the scaling side, that touched on it before, you have to have the documented processes. So um, selling processes, just operational processes in general for delivery, that you can make something that's repeatable so that you can build success. It's it's really easy to create success for 20 customers or 10 customers. It's more than twice as hard to do it for 20. It's more than twice as hard to do it for 40. You, you, you need to have yourself well-documented. Once you do, then it actually becomes easier because you're not re- reinventing the wheel every time. But you, you need to have the processes in place to do it. And then uh, the, the last bit of that would be to, that you're measuring, that you actually know if you're succeeding or failing. So um, having the right KPIs around the business to track that you're scaling. You know, are you bringing enough leads? Um, do you have enough resources? Do you have enough technology capacity you know, to, to deliver for, for the need? Uh, and that you're succeeding. I've had this issue as well. Uh, you could be doing uh, fantastic work, but continuing to lose money, uh, which is not a great outcome. You, you need to be measuring along the way. I wanted to circle back to the first point you made about uh, these distributed teams, because I even with the return to work, I don't see that going away. We we have global companies, and I'm wondering if you could add a few tips to make sure that even as you have distributed teams or you're working in out of multiple offices, how you maintain that cohesion to make sure you're all working uh, to this towards the same goal and in an efficient way. Again, we're continuing to learn here. I find it super interesting that the world is returning to offices, especially in tech, uh, especially in tech companies. Um, one of the things that, that it's since our inception, um, data travel uh, happy has been a fully remote organization. Uh, well, almost fully remote. We have a handful of offices around the world, but it's co-working spaces that people can optionally go into. So we've had the blessing of being able to hire 
the best people we could find no matter where they are and oftentimes in cost-effective markets areas so it's been great the the downside to that is that to bring them together is either incredibly expensive if not impossible so we've what we've done is we've worked on different really different approaches um, we're using collaboration tools a lot of, a lot of slack you know minute to minute communications and some asynchronous social communications so there'd be like you know what are you reading um, dad jokes um, things of the like just to create a level of engagement we encourage these the these smaller teams to to come together and have some of that um, just in a personal time to and we'll start meetings off with just a bit of time on uh, hey what's uh, what's going on in your lives you know, say say something great personally and say something great professionally which is part of EOS and I think I find that to be really helpful and then the one that we're continuing to work our way around is how do we create engagement at the overall group level we can communicate our our, our values we could live our values kind of exhibit how we're living our values but that interpersonal relationship is really hard to do on, at scale. We're just recently, we're looking to take more of that just asynchronous, that creating uh, where we come together on, on a weekly basis and we've got calls where we're, we're, we're communicating what's happening in the business to everyone, as well as uh, giving an opportunity for folks to speak. We're gonna turn that more into uh, one-way communication uh, in, an, in an asynchronous uh, pattern like a uh, company missive. Uh, we'll do a video uh, on a weekly basis, broadcast that out. I think we'll get better reception to that and then encourage in an asynchronous fashion, a dialogue around it in uh, a and a It's, you know, we're spread across like 10 different time zones. So it's really, it's impossible to get everyone together. Like we, we say, well, we'll do a lunch and learn. Uh, we might learn something, but there's no way we're all going to have lunch at the same time. It's a, we barely eat together. We're trying to move more of it asynchronous and then take the synchronous, the, the, the online pieces and drive them to smaller groups that can be more engaging. I guess we have but to rebrand. It's, so, it's a, it's a really long winded way of saying you need to communicate. Uh, mm -hmm. you need to maintain communication. Uh, and with that, you're, you're sharing the behaviors, which drives the culture, the behaviors of people. I'm a, I'm a big believer that uh, you don't create a culture. The company has a culture. You can guide a culture, communicating out the behaviors that you think are great and uh, encouraging more of that and communicating the values and communicating what's going on in business, what's expected. It's all about communicating, which is what would you will be happening in a more natural fashion if you're within a single set of walls. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I was just going to add that maybe we should rebrand the lunch and learn to an eat and educate. So no matter which time zone you're in, you're eating something. It might be dinner, might be breakfast. Louise, we're going to move on to the third question. What do you see as the key opportunities and challenges for hospitality technology companies in 2023 and beyond? The, the short version of this is I think that AI is going to have a big impact. And that's both positive and, and I won't say negative, but creating challenges for some of the, some of the companies. Incumbent companies are going to be uh, are more likely to be challenged by startups that have their various entry dropped and this has been going on for a while when i wrote software at the beginning of my career i didn't write software but when we were building software you'd have to run in someone's environment and you had to build install tools and you had to and then we moved it to the internet and well then you took all of the deployment side of the problem out from the premise 
but you had to run your environments and you had to be able to scale it and you had to run it. And uh, as time passed, you saw more of the uh, open cloud infrastructures that you could pass that off to. So there was one less thing you had to do. And uh, you saw technology consolidations and uh, that was one less thing you had to do. And today, you don't even have to write the code in some cases. You're, you're kind of cutting it along. So I think that um, with each of these waves, we've seen the various entry drop for somebody to, to enter the market. And we'll see that can uh, we'll see that continue. Not necessarily a scaling issue, but it's just uh, it's just understanding what's going on. I think that that you'll see folks that are, are can disrupt uh, solutions with bringing a, a generative AI or, or, or machine learning to to play better than anyone's done it before. That's the challenge on the one side. I think that for the incumbents, it's also an opportunity to embrace it and take advantage of it uh, and really have the opportunity to take the next step forward in building and making their solution stronger and better uh, and, and much more engaging with the guests. The opportunity for one-to-one communication is, is really upon us. So there's a world of opportunity. I think if we're thinking about challenges uh, or opportunities, I think that hotel companies in general are fatigued by buying from a lot of vendors. Their preference would be to buy from fewer vendors, or and it's not necessarily fewer vendors, they're becoming more aware about buying a feature. And oftentimes, and uh, it, when you're a startup, you're solving a single problem. So uh, as, as you scale, and I think that's a whole topic. And so as you look at scale, you need to understand that, you know, do you have enough to build a, a large enough solution? So I think that if you're, if you're looking, it's one of the challenges that they have. Do you have the, the are you future-proofing yourself? Do you have a, a pervasive enough problem that, uh, that, that you're solving that people are saying, hey, I will buy this day in and day out? Or is it something that uh, if Amazon were to give me something that's you know, 10% as good, uh, I would just take that for Salesforce or whomever. Um, so I think that's a question that people need to ask. And that's kind of a drive towards creating a more comprehensive platform type solution, something that's larger, uh, which is um, a little risky because you need to make sure you're making the right bets, but it also uh, it helps you scale. It creates a larger offering that you're that you're selling. Yeah, has AI changed how you're hiring people? How I'm hiring? Yeah, like the uh, uh, skill set. Not yet. What we're doing today is that we're growing resources internally and offering them the abilities to scale up. What we have done from an HR perspective is I have two companies. One, another one of the companies I'm really involved in is Akiva Labs. It's a software development firm. It develops software for other companies on the Salesforce platform. And it helps like large organizations that are that use Salesforce as part of their core business uh, tool set. There, we viewed, uh, we were saying, okay, well, is this, is this going to disrupt us? And uh, so we, we set together a task force to go off and study this. They're still working to understand what is the impact of AI and what's the opportunity. And thus far, kind of the, the, the high-level findings are that it's an enabler it just makes uh, it's going to make everyone stronger uh, if, if used in the right way. So we've gone through and we've actually put together kind of guidelines of, hey, look, these are different tools that can help in different ways, either in code creation, code validation, testing, uh, just building uh, documentation, building. So we've been building um, like tool sets for different employees, and we've done it. We did it first on the developer side. We're doing. Uh, they're working this quarter. They're working on doing the same thing for sellers. What tools are out there to enable sellers to sell better? And then, thankfully, I mean, we're, we're sharing those findings across both of the companies. 
So even with generative AI, which can really speed things up, and you identify all these different applications for it, both uh, in both companies you're involved in, it still comes down to priorities in terms of prioritizing what tools to develop from that or anything else. How do you decide? What's your thought process for developing that list of priorities? I'd, I'd look to say that I'm, I'm super scientific, but I'm not. There's uh, customers drive things first. So if we, if we go out and we socialize things and we see demand, that'll prioritize it. The other side of it, frankly, is still a good bit of gut. I have a team of people that have been around the industry for a long time, and uh, we're looking around and we're checking to see what's, what's around us and where the opportunities lie. I can give you an example. In Happy, we build event streams. So what's happening in different hotel systems, systems and hotels, we, we ingest it, we normalize it, and we expose it at, at, uh, at scale. And what we saw, um, well, I was at Dreamforce last year, and uh, as I've told the story a hundred times, and I learned that they were building connectivity to what was CDP, their data cloud now, where they would ingest in real time data from Snowflake without replicating it. And I said, wait a minute, how are they going to do that? So I came back and I started picking at that. I, I asked the teams and we were going back and forth on, on, on what this meant and how, it was, how they were doing this and could we benefit from this. We realized that, well, a lot of our customers are actually using the data. We have, we're building a fire hose that they're just using to fill buckets. So would it make sense for us to extend what we're doing and build a normalized bucket? So we normalize messages. Could we create that at rest uh, story? Uh, would we use Snowflake or we use something similar to drop the data that they could then consume in many different ways without replication? And uh, we started to, to go through that. Uh, we brought in team members. We brought in folks from AW, uh, a gentleman from AWS to, to help guide this. And we created the Happy Data Platform. Uh, which is an evolution as this, this has come together this year. And that was a little bit of our customers were asking for this, uh, a little bit of we're listening to the market and then looking ahead uh, a bit to what we expect the market to want. And that's the intuition side of things that uh, you, you almost can't even go to the market and ask them if they want it because they don't even realize they need it. So it's a combination of the three. And, uh, and that is an example. We, we saw there was opportunity. We prioritized it. We had some customers that wanted it. And uh, we're, now, uh, we're now deploying it uh, already into customers and some into some very large customers. Thankfully. So that's, that's been our process. We've done similar things. We do Salesforce work uh, where we knew where we needed to end up. The, the market, in this case, they had wanted it, but couldn't, they couldn't convey it. We knew we had to change some uh, change some commercial approaches with Salesforce, but we we leaned in and said, "Look, we'll build this because we know we can make the, the other bits of it come together." And we have, and uh, and then we've got it to market already. So it's uh, a little scientific. We're not sitting here doing massive uh, studies on on feasibility and on the market, etc. We we listen to our customers, uh, listen to the problem, think about how we would solve it ourselves, and then drive to to uh, to, to the outcomes. Yeah, the whole idea of uh, intuition and gut, uh, you know, it's 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 so tough to wrap your head around that that still is important even in this age of data in 2023. Uh, it goes back in my mind, it just reminded me of the, the, the old Henry Ford quote, um, if I'd only asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me uh, a faster horse and buggy. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, yeah. Luis, we're going to move on to the fourth question here. What are the key things innovative leaders and entrepreneurs should prioritize and focus on to gain traction for their business? I, I mentioned them earlier, and I guess it would be avoiding them. So you, we want to have a good grasp on vision, on the products that, that you're selling, uh, how you're marketing them, the people that you have, and the, and the processes that you're running. And I'd really encourage folks to look at the EOS, uh, the Entrepreneur Operating System, because it, it really creates a, a playbook to follow it by down to almost meeting cadences and things and processes. So if, if you follow a process like that, it creates discipline for you. And, uh, and with that, you can avoid the, avoid a lot of the pitfalls. And if, and if we had to look at, at the one thing, it's uh, what, I, what I was alluding to before, that if you, as a separate item, that you're addressing a big enough problem, that this is a, um, a, a product and not a feature. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example in, in hospitality right now, and it's still a question mark. I have an opinion on it, but it's the, the notion of uh, um, digital tipping. Is, is digital tipping a product or a feature? And when you look at that, you at first blush, you say, well, you're solving a great need. I think that in and of itself, it, it would be, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a feature. If you find ways to integrate it into the operating system of, uh, uh, into the operations of a hotel where it's creating incremental value, uh, and it goes beyond the notion of just getting money to somebody, then you start to create something that's, that has more permanence. And that's, it's an example of if you really have to look at that and you should look at that before you try and scale a business to say, okay, am I going to, am I going to be a flash in the pan or, or is this going to be something that, that will scale for the long term? Good point. I spent 11 months in digital tipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. And I realized that as well. I was saying it, Jason. Uh, and no, no, no. and I, I, I'm a big believer in the space, of, but yeah. there's got to be differentiation. There's got to be something that that uh, you're not going to get gobbled up by uh, by someone saying, oh, I could just add that here. Yes, So absolutely. how can you do it in a way that, that you create a moat for yourself that has, a, has, has long-term value? And sometimes you start with that feature, but you need to have a roadmap that says, okay, I'm going to, I can start here. But if I if I start here, how do I get it to where it needs to be? That uh, that this has long term value. Yeah, solving a huge problem, solving a, a great need. It's a great thing to have. It is uh, what I watched when I entered the market. I would guess there were three players. Maybe there were more that just hadn't raised their head yet. By the time I got out, there I counted. I think twenty one that was either a standalone product or a feature of a larger product set. And uh, you absolutely have to build that mode. So it's a fantastic example of solving a problem, but long thinking long term, putting yourself in the shoes of the hotelier, your customer, what do they need? Yeah, they need, it needs, this will work today, tomorrow, next week. But really, as this thing develops, uh, what's what should it be for them next year? You know, good point. I think that's a great point and uh, a great way to finish it off, uh, Luis. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think I've said a lot, so I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd say that we we can stop it there. I, I applaud uh, the the, the journey of, a, of an of an entrepreneur and, and someone, especially when it's scaling up. It's not for the meek. Uh, it's it's hard work. 
uh, you know, I've now done it a, a number of times. I guess I have a really short memory because I forget how hard this is. And so I'm not trying to make small of any of the, the things that I talked about today. They're big decisions, big, a lot of effort that's got to go behind them, a lot of risk that goes into it. But the rewards are, are, are there for, for the folks that kind of come out on the other side. The, the sun will come out tomorrow, I guess, I would say. But uh, be smart, and, and hopefully you're, the odds are stacked in your favor at that point. That's fantastic advice. Luis, thanks so much for coming on board. And thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Gain Momentum Podcast. To stay up to date, make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Gain Advisors, head to gainadvisors.com.